Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Let me begin with a question. When faced with making a decision, large or small, or completing an assignment on time, do you wait until the last possible moment to act? Putting things off can create guilt and anxiety, followed by a few incredibly stressful hours as you rush to meet a hard deadline, and often in a rush making unfortunate choices that produce negative unintended results. We all know that procrastination can be our enemy, but here's a surprise. My guest, Marianne Adams, is here to tell us that we can use it to our advantage and she'll also explain the neuroscience behind procrastination, how we're all hardwired to do it, and why, in fact, it is not a defect. And Mary Ann Adams is a lecturer, author, performer, teacher, and consultant through her A-plus performing arts. She's an internationally recognized anxiety expert who has presented workshops, lectures, press interviews, and private anxiety coaching in 138 countries, and she's authored books, including the one we'll talk about today, Boost Core Power and Bust Anxiety, plus an accompanying workbook and numerous articles on overcoming anxiety and enhancing ability, and she's toured the U.S. as a performer and has 35 years' experience teaching, and her first teaching was as an assistant to the acclaimed self-help guru, Stephen R. Covey. I think you've probably heard of him. I know I've read his books. And by the way, her maiden name is Richards, same as mine, so we may be distant cousins, but we won't hold that against her. <laughs> and hello, Mary Ann Adams. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi, Roy. It's good to be here. Well, let's begin with the basics. What is the neuroscience behind procrastination, and how are we all hardwired to do it? Well, the, the brain is hardwired to protect us, and so anything that's going to cause us to exert energy is going to kind of pull back. Huh. And we see this every day. You get up in the morning and, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, or it's time to go back to work after a coffee break. Oh, I don't want to do it, right? You can feel that little drag happening. <laughs> We're just kind of hardwired to do that. And and if we weren't, you know, it would really actually be a problem because if you ever did get to the end of your energy, um, that would be it. <laughs> so it's, it's a good little protection that we have built in there. And if we understand that, then we don't get so down on ourselves. Yeah, you, you tell us we're good at uh, protecting ourselves physically, but we're not so good at, at protecting ourselves mentally. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, most people don't realize how much anxiety and procrastination is a form of anxiety, how much it affects us every day, um, whether we're worried about getting somewhere on time or what we look, about, look like or uh, 
an uncomfortable confrontation that we might have to do with someone, or a child or an employee or yeah. even a boss. <laughs> but um, the those forms of procrastination um, and procrastination and those forms of anxiety uh, actually change the function of our brain. Huh. And our body also changes function when there's anxiety. So the very things that kind of um, protect us can also be a little bit of a two-edged sword and keep us from doing our best. Yeah, how does uh, anxiety affect our ability to perform in our self-esteem? I know you get into that in the, in your book. But the... Yeah, the the brain has you know different functions in different parts of the brain. And whenever there's anxiety, as there is higher and higher emotion, um, our thinking pulls back from what the prefrontal cortex, and the job of the prefrontal cortex is our reasoning and yeah. our our problem-solving part of our brain. And it'll pull back into the amygdala, which is in the limbic system, which is more of our natural reactions, our instinct, um, our protection, our fear, you know, that kind of thing. And most of the time, people are pretty good about protecting physical, yeah. you know, from physical danger or physical yeah. problems. Yeah, you know, if, if a car veers, a bear, we run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if a car veers across the front, uh, across the line and it's coming straight for us, nobody debates and says, you know, would it hurt that other person's feelings if I moved, out, you know, if I swerved out of the way? Or would it hurt anybody's feelings in the car if they get jostled here? You know, yeah. <laughs> we take care of uh, physical problems. But um, emotional problems, we, we can be even reckless about how we protect our core self and our emotional self. And so then we go to quick fix things. I, I call them quick fix. They're not really quick fix. It's the blame, excuses, the anger, frustration, <laughs> and stuff like that, uh, and procrastination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you tell us and, procrastination stems from a fear of a negative outcome, which makes a lot of sense. And I'm certain at some point every one of us has suffered from outcome anxiety. But uh, can you please give us the... Uh, a few of the uh, common outcome anxieties, I know you list a bunch of them, and they make a lot of sense, like test anxiety and uh, what are Oh, yeah, there's other? a lot. You know, people think that performance anxiety or test anxiety, sports anxiety, they think all of those things are an anxiety and so that, uh, you know, are, are related to the activity that they're doing. Um, same with procrastination. They'll think, oh, I'm procrastinating because of this activity I'm doing that I don't want to do or whatever. But actually, um, all of these anxieties stem from a fear of coming out okay. Yeah. And yeah. if you if you think it's from you know performances from performance anxiety, then <laughs> then you try to fix the performance, right? Or yeah. the test anxiety, you try to test more. Or procrastination, you try to force yourself, you know, to go and um, engage in whatever you're trying to avoid. But really, if you understand that these all come from a fear of coming out okay. Yeah. Then it takes a different angle. You know, your approach is a different angle. Um and it's pretty easy to um it's pretty easy to address these core issues. I call them these these things come from a lack of core power. Yeah. And um we don't understand that how our brain works. Well, when we understand it, it strengthens strengthens our core power. We don't understand that the reason we're pulling back from in procrastination is because of the fear of coming out okay. 
when we do understand that, it strengthens our core power, and we know how to approach the problem a little more effectively. Most of us consider procrastination to be a personality defect, but you yeah. tell us that it is not, and why it's isn't not. it? <laughs> it's because that's how our brain is hardwired, oh, and it's actually a good thing. And as we understand that and we understand that there's a fear of coming out okay, then we yeah. can ask a question and we can say, uh, what about this seems too hard? And a simple question like that uh, seems so, you know, like how could that help? But what it actually does is shifts the thinking back to the prefrontal cortex oh. from where, where it's shifted. And it is really hard to solve any problem without your brain. <laughs> if you haven't got that prefrontal cortex engaged, you're just not going to solve it. So here we're upset with ourselves for not doing what we need to be doing, and we're upset that, you know, we're pulling back from what we want to do and all that. we got this little war going on inside. Yeah. And that and isn't we, solving anything at all. Yeah, <laughs> we're not using our brain. We're not using that prefrontal cortex at all. And so little things. Now, another thing that will happen, Roy, is that when people get um, when people get anxious, there there's a high emotion. You know, uh, we're we're trying to push ourselves to to go and finish something, and then we don't want to do it. And you know, we got this with this fairly high emotion happening inside, and a lot of times we don't even recognize that that's happening. Yeah. And high emotion pulls away from the prefrontal cortex, whether it's anger or yeah. frustration or, you know, fear, whatever. Um, it'll, pull, it'll pull us away from really being able to use our thinking parts of our brain and our problem solving. So if a person is having um, any kind of high emotion, it doesn't have to be just this fear of coming out okay um, associated with procrastination, but anger or, um, you know, the tension from indecision or any of those things, if a person sits back and just lowers emotion one notch, it has a tendency to just flood that prefrontal cortex and get it working again. So if procrastination um, can't be overcome by force, how do we overcome it? I guess you're starting well, to tell we, us. That. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Roy. We are we need to get the prefrontal cortex working again and the way we have to do that is to be able to acknowledge those emotions uh, and realize that that's happening. And once we do that, then we can take initiative like pulling emotions down one notch or asking a simple question, what about this seems too hard? Yeah, you, and when you we can't overcome that, it by force, but if you understand what's really going on and if you yeah. have that strong inner core, then you can deal with problems on the side or something that's holding you back on the side, but it doesn't feel like it's threatening to your entire being. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's some other tricks you can do um, for procrastination, too. Um, they've shown that if you respond within five seconds of something that you think is going to be beneficial to you, yeah. that that is a huge uh, factor in overcoming that initial drag that happens yeah. when the brain is kind of pulling you back. Yeah. Um, another thing that a person can do is to recognize grudges. Like, I don't want to do this, you know, <laughs> that's a grudge, right? And if you recognize a grudge and determine to do everything cheerfully, uh, there's there's something else that happens in the body. First of all, that gets your brain going, right? Yeah. But the other thing is that your brain 
burns 20% of the glucose that you use. And if you have a grudge, it burns even higher. So when a person is saying, I feel burned out, you know, and they're really dragging, it's oftentimes because they actually are. And so if you are having to do a tough, uh, a tough project, grab a piece of fruit, you know, get some healthy glucose. And they have shown that glucose is very, um, has a big influence on the well, brain. That's better and than munching on pretzels then, I think. Yeah. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if your brain gets a little low on that glucose, you're going to lose willpower. And even if you're trying to pull an ocean down a notch and act on the first five seconds and all, and be cheerful, if you don't have what your body needs to power it, it you're going to have a hard time, too. Well, I, I love in your book how you demonstrate the advantages of addressing causes of anxiety rather than simply managing systems. You tell a story of a little girl deathly afraid of a demon under her bed. And can yeah. you briefly describe the... Uh, advice her parents should and shouldn't be giving so that they're addressing the cause. <laughs> and that's true. And this is for all of us. This is just not for the little little kids under the bed, but yeah. most of us approach anxiety. Um, they'll have all of these little techniques. You know, a person yeah. is afraid, then you breathe deeply, and you imagine good outcomes, and you... Um, you systematically muscle, relax your muscles and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And and those things can help, yeah. And but you bury they yourself all, under the covers so the demon can't uh, get to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you avoid all that work you have to do, you know. <laughs> but um, what all those things do is they're, they're masking and they're managing your symptoms. Yeah. But we want to get to the causes. So if a mom comes in and says, oh, you know, you're afraid of that there's a monster under the bed and you're afraid to, uh, you know, approach things and you're afraid to go to sleep or whatever. And she turns on the light and she says, come here, let's look under the bed. And so they look under the bed. Oh, see, there's no monster. And that little, that blinking that you saw, that's the that's a street light coming through the window <laughs> and filtered through the leaves. And the noise that you hear, that's just the wind kissing the trees leaves, you know. And they really, and that little child understands the fear. Yeah. Well, then that child isn't battling inside to try to force themselves to go to sleep when they're terrified that there's yeah. fangs and claws, you know, <laughs> underneath yeah, the bed. Yeah, the terror is, uh, goes away once they ex- really understand where it's coming you're, from. Yes, you're right, Roy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, adults, we do that to ourselves all the time. We sit there and try to force ourselves to get work done. We force ourselves to face a relationship confrontation that's going to be, you know, that we're afraid of or whatever. We force ourselves to try and get on, uh, get on task or whatever, and we don't take time to sit down and think, why is this happening? How, why, what's, what's going on here? And then we don't take time to actually develop the skills to understand how our brain and our body is working so that we're not fighting ourselves. 
Well, modern medical professionals advise us there's good and bad cholesterol. In a similar manner, there would appear to be good and bad procrastination. Yep. <laughs> and when, when we're delaying making a decision to permit further consideration, is there any good way to judge when, uh, when further delay no longer is worthwhile? And, in fact, we're now suffering from paralysis of analysis. Uh, when, how do we realize when we reach that uh, touching our turning point between good and bad procrastination. Um, I think that all procrastination is bad, and that um, in fact there's a trick that I ca- that's called the the uh, reverse procrastination. Oh. And if a person is is having difficulty with a task. A lot of times it's due to this sense of perfectionism, really wanting to get oh, yeah. to do a good job, really. Yeah. And, and, that, and perfectionism is always tied to um, this, this fear of coming out okay, right? Yeah, and so has to if be a, perfect so you don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if a person uh, jumps right in immediately, as soon as they possibly can on any task, but in your mind, you say, I'm only going to do 80% of it. Huh. I'm going to do 80% of the work, and, um, and then I'm going to stop, and, I ha- I, you know, and then if I have time later. But if you don't do the work at all, it's an F, right? And yeah. if you do 80%, it's a B. You're, you're going to be ahead, right? Yeah. But what happens is this kind of jump, jump starts you. And, you know, when I first heard this, Roy, I had a speaking engagement coming up that I needed to prepare for on yeah. new material. And I thought, hey, uh, I'm just going to try this and see how this reverse procrastination works, you know. So I jump right in. I immediately work on it. And I do what I think is 80%. And then life happened. And I truly did not have time. And all of a sudden, it is the morning of the presentation. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I've I got to pull this out. And I've got to see what where I'm at and, and try and stitch this together and make sure I can get through, right? I pulled it open, right? I pulled open the material, and it was like done. <laughs> and I'm wow! I thought I'm like I thought I only did eighty percent. Eighty percent is a hundred percent. I'm telling you because you are burning less glucose in your yeah. brain. You are not fighting yourself. You're not you know worried about this perfectionism or anything. It the eighty percent was a hundred percent, but it, it felt it felt so easy, and I thought, wow, I just learned such a huge lesson. This was so easy, That's and um, you you save twenty percent of your energy. <laughs> you get it done without all the pain. <laughs> well, let's talk uh, a bit about your acclaimed new book, Boost Core Power and Bust Anxiety. The Amazon book promotion tells us your book is not about managing anxiety. It's about eliminating it. Without going into detail, can you give us a hint as to how you guide readers to eliminate their anxiety? Well, most of the time, we don't even realize the different anxieties that we're approaching every day. Indecision and avoidance and frustration and tension, these are all anxieties that we deal with every day. And most of the time, people don't really recognize their anxiety unless it's like this terrible performance anxiety or relationship anxiety or something that's happening. And um, 
So by recognizing our anxieties, and then a lot of times we don't deal with those anxieties because we have no idea what to do with them. Yeah. We, we're like, okay, I can tell I have anxiety, but what, you know, what do I do now? And so there's uh, it, anxiety is very unique to the individual, and so one-size-fits-all stuff doesn't work. But by having lots of tools in the chest and being able to know what to do and have different approaches to anxiety, because some people's anxiety is going to be because they were just born with um, a brain structure that's a little different, and, and so knowing how to, to change your brain structure and how you think is going to be really valuable to them. Others are have uh, relationship anxieties or they're uh, afraid of coming out and being able to please other people or um, that kind of a thing. And so we all have these different angles to it. And by knowing what to do in all of these different kinds of angles and situations, you have all of these tools to boost your core. And when your core power is strong, yeah, you don't have the anxiety, you know. You can run into a situation and go, oh, I know what to do. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's pretty easy to handle. Just like with procrastination. Oh, I'm feeling it. Okay, I'm going to reverse procrastinate. I'm going to act on five, the first five seconds, you know. Well, it sounds I'm like going... your book is packed full of scientific, scientific <laughs> yeah. information written for scientific, I can't say it, professionals. Can a lay person like me also benefit from reading your book? Is it easy oh, absolutely. To <laughs> <laughs> in fact, there's a little funny thing in the front where I say, okay, here's how this would, if I were saying this sentence in <laughs> academic terms. <laughs> this yeah, is, you I know, and that, that was a riot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I put it all in lay terms because it, otherwise it gives you anxiety, right? You need yeah. something that's simple, that's straightforward, to deal with all this anxiety and get rid of it. Yeah, that's um, scientific people do that and politicians. <laughs> <laughs> well, you offer a companion workbook, uh, Core Power Pro-Launch Pad. Uh, what is, what uh, benefit do people get from buying that along with the book? What, what's in that uh, Workbook. Well, the the core power launch pad pad goes along with boost core power and bust anxiety, and it's a workbook. So you will take a concept from it, from the book, and then you actually apply it, and you see how that works in your life, so that you can go a layer deeper. Because a lot of people uh, are are hampered by this, you know, anxiety. It it'll affect their ability every day. Yeah. And uh, in fact, it actually affects almost everybody every day, and. Yeah as you recognize those daily anxieties. And sometimes you just don't know until you have a question that says, when have you felt this way? Or how does this work in your life? Then you go, oh, my gosh, oh, I didn't realize that. And then you can address it. Well, where's the best place for listeners to preview and purchase your books? It's out in different bookstores, but if you want to just get nailed right on it, hit that Amazon. Yeah, it was on Amazon. And, uh, <laughs> give us your website so that people can learn more about you and uh, your background and everything. What's your my web? Oh, thanks, Ray. My website is A Plus Performing Arts, and so you're going to spell out the plus A Plus Performing Arts dot com. Yeah. And anybody who goes on that, they can sign up for free anxiety tips that I send out on a regular basis, and that can be fun too. And I know you also have a one united charity that people can contribute to. What uh, what who benefits from that charity? I think it was wonderful when I read about that. Oh, 
One United Charity is a, a support for families of fallen um, heroes, fallen uh, military, fallen police. And um, so there's a care package that goes out. We have a CD that is um, songs that are, were all written around the process of healing. And so uh, people can order that CD if they have someone that, they, um, that has lost a loved one or something. And um, that helps to fund our charity. Um, so you can purchase a CD or, or they can donate directly. And then we send those packages out to families of fallen heroes. Oh, that's great. Well, in conclusion, as my guest Marianne Adams points out, procrastination is not a defect, but simply a form of performance anxiety. And the way to overcome an inability to make decisions or to complete uh, crucial assignments is to build up your core strength to understand fully why you're a wonderfully created human being with a core strength to direct your efforts to master any situation, regardless of what may come your way. And in conclusion, I'd like to quote from a reader who was studying for a commercial helicopter license. And in Mary Ann Adams' book, uh, according to him, uh, led through self-evaluation that helped me to pinpoint minor areas where I was weak. And when I drilled those areas, it built self-confidence throughout all my performance. And coupled with the reminder that I was worth, with or without a commercial rating, I'm certain you'll agree that's the type of good, natural procrastination that will benefit you moving forward to extinguish anxiety. And thanks so much, Marianne Adams, for your uh, sable and uh, your wise advice. <laughs> Thank you, Roy. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks a million to today's guest, Marianne Adams. As Marianne points out, it makes absolutely no sense to keep beating yourself up over your failure to make a decision or to take a necessary action. No, procrastination is not a personality defect. It simply means that your brain and body are working together as they should. I'd hate to think if our body didn't work with our brain. In fact, procrastination can be a very positive thing if it keeps you from taking a spur-of-the-moment emotion-fueled action you will be very sorry for later. And here's an example. Your spouse or steady girlfriend, boyfriend does or says something that rubs you the wrong way. Your first impulse is to strike back with a hurtful response and a, word, a war of words ensues. Worst case, the ultimate outcome could be a divorce or breakup of a very po uh, promising relationship. Admittedly, that's a far-fetched ultimate conclusion of a simple disagreement. But even in a rock-solid marriage, your falling into the trap of quickly getting even can open up a small crack in an otherwise solid partnership. And it's not a bad idea to procrastinate a bit on how really serious your spouse's indiscretion was whether she or he intentionally offended, how much you love your mate, what purpose of any would be served by your hasty, unpleasant response, and what you seek to gain other than a fleeting, momentary satisfaction from striking back. And that's really no satisfaction at all, is it? And folks, please don't poison your relationship with your mother-in-law or your daughter-in-law or son-in-law. 
In fact, I ar- I'd argue that procrastination is a good thing to do any time you contemplate saying something or doing something that might seriously harm or offend another person. Having said that, we all know that there also is bad procrastination, and that means continually putting off making a decision or launching or completing a project that we know has to be done. And none of us is immune from the impulse of procrastination, which at its worst can crush dreams, relationships, opportunities, even careers. And you'll recall that Marianne Adams proposes overcoming bad procrastination by affirming the value of self right down to your inner core. You know, every one of us is a wonderfully created, one-of-a-kind creature of God, a potential negative outcome for an individual project or an initiative in no way lessens our inherent talent or our value created in God's image. And divorcing our ultimate value as an individual from the outcome of a particular decision or action makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? And before we go, I'm going to throw out a few tips for avoiding needless bad procrastination in order that we get things done. Tip number one, even if a project is not immediately due, if it comes to mind and you know how you're going to accomplish it, just do it. There's no reason in the world why you have to wait for the final deadline. And doesn't it feel great to complete a project ahead of schedule? I know I certainly enjoy doing that. Uh, Tip number two, do not multitask. It makes no sense to try to work on two projects at the same time. You'll probably screw up both of them. And for that matter, it's never a good idea to work on an important project while the TV set is blaring, a sports broadcast is on, or you're listening to talk radio. (laughs) These talking heads in no way help us to get our work done, do they? And tip number three, modify your environment to limit your distractions. In addition to getting away from the TV set, get away from your smartphone, your iPad, and family members, and that's not always so easy for you parents with small kids, but you too can work out a, a, a child or care child relays so you take turns at it, or if need be, hire a sitter. If you really have a deadline to meet, that's not a bad idea, is it? Tip number four, set clear priorities and a firm timetable for completion of necessary project stages and then diligently monitor your progress and always set a revised timeline any time that a deadline is missed and you start to fall behind. And tip number five, and this is very important, set an internal alarm clock to recognize and identify detours any time you find yourself straying from your previously established primary task. Each time you do that, ask yourself if and why this particular detour is necessary, how much time you plan to spend on this detour, and if uh, if the activity can be postponed, and if it can't, then how will you catch up on your primary project? All those are key elements. Tip number six is to keep yourself accountable by asking someone else, someone you trust, maybe your spouse, your closest friend, or a trusted work colleague to help keep you on track and then set up a, a system where you report to them your progress at predetermined intervals. You know, it makes it really makes it uh, 
much easier to get things done when we know we have someone else looking over our, our shoulders and we need to please them as well as ourselves and, uh, and uh, act like it matters to them even if perhaps it doesn't. And tip number seven, set your mind on a successful outcome. Uh, you know, routinely visualize celebration of a positive outcome rather than fearfully obsessing over potential for failure and all the reasons why you might fail, because that really gets you nowhere, does it? And tip number eight, when you wake up each morning, whether or not you face an imminent deadline over the next 24 hours, adopt that good old get-her-done-now mentality, and one of your core objectives will be to competently face up to every challenge and to never concentrate on excuses on why you should delay completion. And guess what? Experts tell us that the more you and I visualize ourselves as folks of action who routinely get things done the right way, the sooner that will become our reality, and that's the good old law of attraction. <laughs> A worthy goal? We won't rush into rash actions or decisions, ignoring thoughtful deliberation, the good procrastination, but henceforth we no longer will indulge ourselves and become victims of paralysis of analysis, the bad procrastination. At middle age, I'm sure all of us have learned from experience of 20 or more years of adult living, and we can be confident that we will be right most of the time, and those few bad decisions we make will in no way lessen our value as human beings or our ability to make a good decision the next time we learn from our success and from our failures and we'll do better the next time and best of success to you as you confidently guide your way through a joyful productive and fulfilling second half of life and don't uh, fail to ask the spiritual being god or whatever you may refer to it as or your contemporaries to help you along the way because no one wants to be successful all on their own and it's very tough to do and uh don't forget the book. Uh, I wrote a book that uh, presents a roadmap to a joyful, productive middle age that will help you along in your progress toward a successful second half. And that book is called The Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. And you can find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or through our website, middleagerenewal.com. And that's our program for today. Tune in again next week when our guests will inform you why you're never too old to succeed and how you can wrest cash out of your underutilized life insurance policy, whatever you want to use it for. And I'll talk to you then, and in the interim, always keep in mind that middle age can be your best age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and crew restart your engines you can learn more about roy and his middle age renewal training system by visiting his website middleagerenewal.com